It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Wenigal and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Michael Steindl and Natalie Buckmore. Hello Kay. Hello Kay, hello, hello Nat. The importance of energy storage in our electricity system has been brought to public attention recently with Prime Minister Turnbull highlighting it as a storage opportunity after the South Australian and Victorian blackouts caused by freak weather events. In fact, he's putting ta- taxpayers' money towards pumped hydro storage solutions. Our Prime Minister has gone further and said that Australia's energy future has to be affordable, reliable and particularly with low carbon emissions. To find out how pumped hydro fits into this picture, we're speaking with Professor Andrew Blakers, who, with his team, are involved in a substantial new research program. They're investigating the potential for energy storage via off-river pumped hydro as a way of stabilising a 50 to 100% renewable contribution to the existing Australian electricity system. Professor Andrew Blakers is a director of the Australian National University Centre for Sustainable Energy Systems and employs about 60 people. He's responsible for several innovations in the solar photovoltaic technology and his main research area is in energy storage and recovery. Hi Andrew and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Andrew, firstly, can you explain to our listeners what off-river pumped hydro is? This is, might be familiar with on-river pumped hydro where you have a pair of dams in a river valley and water flows through the turbines from the upper reservoir to the lower reservoir and uh, is, it's stored in the lower reservoir that then can be pumped back up the hill. That's all fine and there's about 150,000 megawatts of pumped hydro on river around the world. However, it's not necessary to stay in a river. One can go to hilly farmland outside national parks, away from sensitive river valleys and put a pair of small reservoirs of 10 or so hectares, one at the top of the hill, one at the bottom of the hill, and a pipe in between. And in that pipe is a pump turbine. When electricity is cheap, water is pumped up the hill from the lower to the upper reservoir. And when the electricity is expensive, then the water comes back down through the turbine to create electricity to be sold into the national grid. And the same water goes round and round a circle, so the amount of water that you need is just evaporation minus rainfall, which is actually very small. Andrew Michael here. Um, I'm always surprised, uh, given all the fuss we hear about batteries lately, to when I read that something like 99% of the existing energy storage worldwide is pumped hydro. And most of that, I understand, is, is primarily the conventional hydroelectric dams. What percentage is this off-river pumped hydro that you're talking about? 
Most um, pumped hydro is indeed on rivers and uh, only a few percent of it is off-river. However, it's exactly the same technology. It's just that um, it's for a different purpose. Its purpose is to stabilise high levels of photovoltaics and wind in an electricity system and uh, you don't need seasonal storage in very large reservoirs to do that. Mm. To give you some sort of scale, um, a pair of 10-hectare reservoirs uh, can uh, run a 300 megawatt power generator for 10 hours and that gets you through the day-night issue with solar energy. Uh, it doesn't have seasonal storage, it's overnight storage but um, twin 10 hectare reservoirs is much smaller than the thousands of hectare reservoirs in, for example, the big snowy mountains dams. Mm. It, it's important for listeners to realise, isn't it, that this is actually a battery. Um, you're just storing that electrical energy in the form of potential energy of water at a height and then using the same turbine as a pump. Um, so uh, with the, you've mentioned the height differences you need. What else do you need to consider in, in building these off-river systems? Well, the, the, the most important things are, firstly, that you have a big head. Head is the height difference between the upper and lower reservoirs. And what sort of so head? If you, double, if you double the head, then you double the energy and power capacity of the system, but you don't double the cost. So heads of four, 500 metres are everywhere in Australia except in Western Australia. And um, this allows a fairly low-cost system. Uh, the second thing is that you need a steep hill so that the length of the pipe between the two reservoirs is small because the pipe's quite expensive. And um, the third is that you shouldn't be too far from a high-voltage power grid so that you don't have to pay for a very long high-voltage power line to connect into the system. So, Andrew, is, is this proven technology? Like, how, how well has this been established? What's the, the history with it? Well, pumped hydro has been around for 100 or so years. Um, there's not much to invent. Um, there's two components. One is the power side. That is the, the turbine, the generator, the... Uh, power switchyard, the interconnections, and the pipe. The second is the energy side, and that's the volume of water that you're storing in the upper reservoir. And um, these reservoirs are typically located at the top of a, of a flattish hill, and it's essentially bulldozers pushing dirt from the middle of the reservoir to create earth walls about 20 metres high around the outside. Essentially, the reservoirs are oversized farm dams and um, it's quite different from uh, conventional on-river hydro where you're getting into a steep river valley and um, have to deal with thousand-year floods. In an off-river pumped hydro, you deliberately go completely off-river so that it's not possible to have a dangerous flood event because you're simply not associated with any river or any creek. That's a great advantage. So is this used somewhere in Australia, Andrew? Um, at the moment, there's three pumped hydro systems in Australia. Two of them are clearly on a river, um, the Wyvernhoe Dam and the Tumut 3 power station. The third is essentially off-river. That's the Kangaroo Valley power station, though it's closely associated with a river-based system. The important thing about uh, being off-river is two, uh, there are two important things. Um, the first is that flood control 
dealing with these very rare but very horrific dangerous storms uh, is a very significant fraction of the cost of a building a reservoir in an on-river system. Okay. And you skip it if you go off-river. The second is that the upper reservoir is much better off not in a river valley but on the hill next to the river valley because you can double or triple the head by getting the upper reservoir out of the river valley. And as I mentioned before, a bigger head means a lower cost. Right. And so is it being looked at for development anywhere in Australia currently? Uh, yes. There's a proposal for, a serious proposal for a pumped hydro system in an old gold mine at um, in Nor- uh, the old Kitson Gold Mine in North Queensland. And there's uh, many, many sites, thousands of sites, all up and down the mountainous regions of eastern and southern Australia, um, away from any river, including in South Australia, where there's a line of high hills uh, on the eastern side of the gulfs, north north of Adelaide. And um, uh, uh, South Australia has no capacity for on-river hydro. Basically, it doesn't have any river except the Murray River, which is very flat. But... It has excellent opportunities for off-river pumped hydro using fresh water uh, up and down the east side of the Gulf. Dozens and dozens of opportunities. So you're talking about pumping salt water up? No, don't want to use salt water because then you've got to worry about corrosion caused by salt. You use fresh water. The reason why uh, fresh water is not an issue is that the amount of water you need is so small. The cost of it, even if you trucked it in, uh, can't even be seen in the overall cost of the system because the water is recycled and the reservoirs are small. The same water just goes round and round. So evaporative losses obviously are minimal. Mm. Well, it's evaporation minus rainfall, so you're constantly getting rainfall top up and you put evaporation suppressors, uh, otherwise known as floating sheets of plastic, (laughs) which further limit evaporation. These are 10 hectare, very small reservoirs, um, which go up and down once or twice a day from pretty much full to pretty much empty. It's an industrial situation in a very small footprint. Andrew, you've um, compared the cost of 100% renewables, PV, wind and pumped hydro. Can you tell us what the results of that were? Uh, Yes, there are four legs, actually. Um, We need PV and wind. We choose those because they have uh, have the overwhelming dominance in new low-emission generation capacity installed around the world. Um, In fact, PV and wind together are being installed at the same rate as everything else put together around the world and constitute 100% of new generation capacity in Australia. So... PV and wind are the choice for the generation. You also need to strengthen the interconnectors between the states. These are the high-voltage transmission lines, which allows you to move the PV and wind from a place where there's plenty of wind and sun to a place where the weather's not so good at this particular moment. And that means that you're sampling different weather systems from Adelaide right through to Queensland and the probability of having no wind and no sun anywhere in this large area of land is pretty much zero. And then the fourth leg is storage, and there's really only one show in town and that for large-scale storage, and that's pumped hydro. As you mentioned, it's 97% of all storage around the world, with batteries being 1% or 2%. And pumped hydro uh, allows you to 
have a very low cost of balancing, as we call it. So you need to get enough generation to equal the annual demand, and that comes from PV and wind, but you also have to balance on an hourly basis to make sure that um, you meet the demand every hour of the year. And the extra cost of balancing hourly rather than just annually <coughs> is the high-voltage interconnectors plus the storage plus a few percent of spillage of PV and wind because you build a few extra PV and wind power stations. And uh, the overall cost of um, the balancing is about two and a half to three cents per kilowatt hour on top of the cost of PV and wind. And we've done a careful analysis looking at a 100% renewable electricity system at today's prices and at prices that we will have in the 2020s. And the cost at today's prices is about $0.09 cents per kilowatt hour compared with the current pool price, as it's called, the average price within the national electricity market of about 55 to 6 The reason for the cost difference is basically because the pool price is dominated by generators that have sunk costs built 20, 30 years ago. They don't have capital repayment. Looking into the 2020s, the total cost of a 100% renewable electricity system falls to about 7.5 cents, which is actually cheaper than you could build a like-for-like replacement of our current fossil fuel system. And just to be quite clear, that $0.09 cents you mentioned included both the generation capacity and the storage capacity. Is that right? Generation, storage and interconnection. Okay. It, it's a full system cost at 2016 prices. Environmental economist Bruce Mountain, unlike economics professor Ross Garno, is concerned that pumped hydro isn't an economic option for storage. Can you <laughs> talk to that? Well, he's entitled to his opinion. I think he's wrong. I think he's quite wrong. Um, we have a cost model and we're currently spending $200,000 to get an even better cost model um, with the help of uh, uh, major uh, hydro companies. Um, this is part of a grant from the Australian Renewable Energy Agency to do three things. One is to look at um, the cost of off-river pumped hydro energy storage. The second is to find all of these sites in Australia outside national parks and protected land. And the third is to look at the integration of pumped hydro into high PV wind renewable electricity systems. And uh, certainly the, um, the modelling we're doing shows that pumped hydro is um, a very affordable method of storage and um, it allows us to go head-to-head with coal and gas and beat coal and gas. So electricity generation from pumped storage hydro plants is not considered as renewable since pumping water up consumes electricity produced by other power plants in the grid? Oh, well, if it's produced by PV and wind, then it's entirely renewable. Exactly. So that's what we've got to get to is more PV and wind. Um, That's correct. The amount of PV and wind being installed to meet the 33 terawatt hour renewable energy target If that amount of activity was continued through to 2030, it would lead us to 50% PV and wind by 2030. 
And so if we want to go to 100%, we need to approximately double the level of activity, uh, which doesn't sound like a very difficult thing to do. For those of you who have just joined us, we're talking to Professor Andrew Blakers about pumped hydro opportunities around Australia. So the efficiency of pumped hydro, is that about 70 to 75%? Um, in a closed-loop off-river pumped hydro, it would be in the range of 80%. Uh, compared with a battery, which might do 90, maybe a little bit better. Uh And basically, you lose 10% in the pumping cycle, pushing water up the hill, and you lose 10% when the water comes back down through the turbine. Hmm. So coming back to um, the the various factors you mentioned, um, you said in passing the interconnect grid. Um, Can you talk to us about uh, what the possibilities are or what we need to do there, Australia-wide, or is it Australia-wide? Do we just act on a state basis? Do we need high-voltage DC links anywhere in Australia to make this really viable? Um, okay, so the importance of interconnection is that it reduces the amount of storage you need. If you sample, if you can access weather systems over a very large area, say a million square kilometres in the triangle between Adelaide, uh, Brisbane and um, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, then the probability of having bad weather everywhere is much lower compared with trying to do it in a small area such as the quarter uh, um, million square kilometre southwest interconnected system around Perth. So that means you can reduce the amount of storage that you need and reduce the amount of wind and PV that is spilt when you've got too much of it and not enough demand. So having wide distribution is quite important for reducing costs. And a high-voltage AC is used everywhere in Australia already for the interconnectors. So in our calculations, we have included the cost of upgrading the high-voltage AC interconnectors. And we also have an optional extra to run a high-voltage DC cable up to far north Queensland um, where there happens to be excellent wind and PV, which also happens to be sitting directly on top of the Adani proposed coal mine in far north Queensland. That's going to be difficult and, then. <laughs> uh, accessing that region means that you get even wider range of weather conditions, and that would be done with a high-voltage DC cable. Another optional extra is to run a high-voltage DC cable across the desert from Adelaide through to Perth to hook Western Australia into the national market. So am I, am I correct in understanding that the high-voltage AC is cheaper to build, but the losses are greater? On the other hand, you, you can build a more efficient DC one, but the capital cost of getting that going is far greater? Uh, no. Um, the divider between AC and DC is basically the length of the cable. If you're running a cable more than 800 or 1,000 kilometres, then you want to go to DC. Less than that, you're better off stick, sticking with AC. So running to far north Queensland or across to Perth would be done with DC and certainly running from Melbourne across to Tasmania is is done with DC um, and shorter connections would be AC. Okay, and this is a balancing act, I assume. Um, The cost of building these high-voltage, long-distance transmission networks versus the cost of having more local generation and storage capacity, is that right? That's right. A good example is South Australia. South Australia is currently sit well, will shortly be sitting on about 50% PV and wind in its mix with gas comprising the rest uh, and also import and export via the existing interconnectors to Victoria. So 
as South Australia pushes up to 60, 70, 80% PV and wind, it has to do something more to stabilise its grid. And it has two choices. Uh, it can put an, a new AC interconnector in from uh, South Australia through to either Brisbane or Sydney. That's 1,000 kilometres or thereabouts. Alternatively, it can put in some pumped hydro energy storage, uh, which acts in a similar way and costs a similar amount to the interconnector. So really it's line ball, according to our calculations, whether a, an interconnector or uh, a local storage would be better. And in fact, um, as, as South Australia pushes up into the three quarters and more PV wind penetration, mm. both would be desirable. So you have uh, pumped hydro, which gives you local storage and um, helps to ensure you're, you're against problems in interconnectors. Um, the interconnectors are also important because it lets South Australia export mm. high-value PV and wind to the eastern states. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It's not just about importing, it's exporting as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like South Australia's got quite a few pumped hydro opportunities to give them good storage as well as um, on-the-spot energy. South Australia and has unlimited pumped solar. hydro storage opportunities with heads of 400 metres or better, and that means low-cost pumped hydro. So South Australia really can push up to 100 or even you know, 150% PV and wind and make a nice long-term business exporting PV and wind to states that have less wind and sun. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like state by state there's varying opportunities in terms of pumped hydro, so it's still important to have the grid connecting all the states. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it, if, if you, we looked at, we've looked at the cost of... 100% PV wind in Western Australia and it's 30 or 40% more expensive than doing the national electricity market for the same assumptions. And the reason is that the weather is all the same everywhere in the um, system around Perth because it's quite a small area of land, whereas the weather is not all the same all the, everywhere in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane and North so that means that the national electricity market, the eastern states market, has much more variety of weather and much less requirement for storage, so the cost comes down. Apart from cost, who says whether these interconnects can go ahead? Are there regulatory barriers um, that people have to face? Um, there are, but they're, they're not particularly serious. The um, uh, Electronet has proposed a high-voltage AC interconnector from, from the Northern Gulf region across to either Brisbane or Sydney, and this goes straight across arid, fairly arid land um, and connects into the New South Wales, Victoria, um, Queensland high-voltage system somewhere west of the um, Sydney-Brisbane region. So the role of pumped storage hydro plants is twofold, balancing the grid for demand-driven fluctuations and balancing generation-driven fluctuations. How quickly can pumped hydro be started up and fed into the grid? Yes, well, there's been a, a lot of loose talk about base load and the, the, the fact that coal and gas can provide inertial storage. Well, that's true. Pumped hydro can do exactly the same. Inertial storage is having a heavy generator spinning so that uh, very short fluctuations in demand and supply, for example, the collapse of an interconnector, can be um, balanced on the sub-second time scale by drawing energy from this heavy rotating mass and then you rapidly bring on uh, new capacity 
uh, in order to balance the loss of whatever has gone down. And the fact is that um, pumped hydro can go from idling to full power in a minute or so, which is much faster than gas and mm. much, much faster than coal can do. Mm. So pumped hydro is the gold standard for stabilising a grid. And, and if it, you've got lots of pumped hydro in a grid, you've got an excellent chance of having high stability. I'm sure Alan Fink will be on site at the interim report release he gave recently. He was very strong on spinning capacity to, to counteract the renewables. So how quickly can these systems be built? Andrew? Well, there's two components. As I mentioned, there's the energy component, that is building a reservoir, and then there's the power side, which is the pipes, pump, turbine, switchyard, generator, and uh, the transmission lines. And um, to build a, a several hundred megawatt system requires you to get all the planning permissions, and it requires you to do the detailed engineering and uh, geology and hydrology and the like. And then you bring the bulldozers in and build the, um, the, the reservoirs by scooping dirt from the middle and using that to create earth walls. Turkey Nest Dam. Turkey Nest Dam. Or damming a, uh, a dry gully in a high mountain, of which South Australia has many, many, many sites. Um, and then, of course, you have to then go out and order the um, standard hydro components and uh, that takes uh, a little time to organise. And if you really, really wanted to do it very quickly, I suppose you could do it in a couple of years, um, more typically for a major project like this, like any power station, in fact, it would be um, you know, three or four years. So it sounds similar to a gas plant. So uh, yes, that's right. We're just about running out of time, Andrew. Another question, though, can pumped hydro enable us to go to 100% renewables by evening out the peaks and troughs, or do we need other forms of storage, such as batteries or compressed air, flywheels? Um, the only show in town is pumped hydro, and yes, pumped hydro allows you to go to 100% without any um, waving, without any heroic developments. It's just off-the-shelf available around the world. Pumped hydro, PV and wind, and strength and interconnectors are all standard technologies with standard prices. Okay, I think that's all we've got time for, Andrew. Thank you so much. It's been really informative and I'm sure um, lots of people will download this podcast as well as the people listening to it now. And can can you also tell us where people can find out more about this? We will soon be putting out a um, a paper describing 100% renewable electricity for Australia with the support of um, PV, wind, pumped hydro and stronger interconnectors. And uh, within a week or two, that will be widely available. And um, if people just watch out for the press release, it will come out soon. Thank you again, uh, Professor Andrew Bakers. We've been talking to Andrew Bakers from the ANU about pumped hydro and how it works as an electrical storage system. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. And if you want to listen to this show or any of our others, go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at the, with the at BZE Tech Show tag. Thanks for listening and hope we'll catch you again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.